before we're done. But going back in chapter 21, Jesus tells the disciples, even back in chapter 20, he tells the disciples to meet by the Sea of Tiberias, which is the Sea of Galilee. He says, go, go. He revealed himself to the disciples. Eight days later, he reveals himself to the one that was absent, which was Thomas, shows himself. He says, here's the nail scars in my hands. Here's the nail uh, it, it scars, or my, the side, the spear side on my, my ribs. He said, uh, Thomas, I am, the, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. I'm the one that hung on the cross. I'm the one that died, and I'm the one that resurrected. Thomas then declared Jesus the Christ, and one of the greatest declarations in the Gospel of John. He then tells the disciples after that occurrence in Jerusalem, he tells the disciples to go to the Sea of Tiberias and wait for him. He'll be there. And uh, it was about an 80-mile journey from Jerusalem to Tiberias. And so he tells the disciples they go on a journey, no doubt several-day journey to Tiberias. Once they get there, they're waiting, they're tired, they're frustrated, no doubt. And Peter looks at the disciples and says, Hey, boys, while we wait, let's, let's uh, fish. And so Peter said, I go fishing. And they said, well, let's go fishing. And so they get on a little boat, and several of them probably get on some boats, and they go out and they start casting those circular nets out and catching or trying to catch fish. But they had done that for quite some time, and they caught nothing. A figure steps out on the shore early morning and says, hey, boys, have you caught any meat? Have you caught any fish? And the disciples uh, yell back, no, we have not caught any. They didn't say not yet. They didn't say, we're, we're having a hard time. They just said, frustratingly, no, we have caught nothing. Jesus then tells uh, Peter, or of course, Peter swims to the shore. The disciples swim to the shore. Peter then uh, has a conversation with Jesus. And Jesus asked Peter in John 21, do you love me? He asked him that three times. And Peter's response was, of course, Lord, the first few times was, Lord, I'm fond of you. You're a dear friend. I like you a lot. It was not agape love. It was a phileo love. And, and uh, Peter was uh, under conviction because the last time he responds or that question, he says, Lord, you know all things. You know my heart. You know the hearts and intents of, of everybody. And so every time that Jesus would ask that question, he would then give a statement. Feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And he had a plan for Peter. He said, Peter, I've got a, a role for you, a job for you. I want you to feed the sheep. I want you to pastor the flock. I want you to preach the word. I want you to take care of those little young lambs. I, I want you to take care of those young in the faith. They are my sheep. Then Peter begins a conversation with Jesus. No doubt John was nearby. And Peter looks at John and says, what about John's future? The, the rumor is that John's just going to live forever. You said the rest of us are going to die. You said I was going to die. I was going to be girded up and strapped to a cross. And what about John? And Jesus said in verse number 24 or 23, he said that that saying abroad was among the brethren. This was rumor mill. John's going to live forever. John's going to live a long time. And he said, Jesus says in the middle of verse 23, not unto him, he shall not die, but if I will that he tarry till I come. So Jesus said, Peter, even if I did allow John to live a very, very, very long time, even until my return, what's that to you? Mind your business. Do you remember last week's message Mind your business. Lord, what about my brother? What about John? Jesus says, hey, mind your own business and follow 
me. Follow me. He says it twice. Follow me. Follow me. Then he has commanded Peter, of course, to continue to follow him. The last two verses in our text, and I want you to follow along with me this morning in John chapter 21 and look with me in verse number 24. This is John's seal of authenticity affirming in three different parts in John 24. Notice, this is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Look at verse 25. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again this morning for the beautiful worship that we uh, had to experience. Thank you for the earlier service, for the family uh, that joined, the, the uh, baptism that we had. Uh, thank you for the sweet spirit uh, that you have given us. And Lord, we thank you this morning for the Gospel of John. And Lord, what a journey it has been for this pastor to preach through verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept, in context. Questions were asked, hearts were examined, souls were saved. And Lord, the church has grown. And we're thankful of that. Lord, as we conclude John's gospel, may we self-reflect on what you have for us today. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a seal of the authenticity of the gospel of John. John, the writer, says this in verse number 24. This is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things. Can I make three statements this morning about verse number 24? The first statement is this. Every word contained in this book, the Gospel of John, is the account of an eyewitness. It's the account of an eyewitness. John says in verse 24, this is the disciple. He refers to the individual present with Peter and with Jesus by the Sea of Tiberias on the shore during the conversation, Peter, as I said earlier, looks at John, questions Jesus about John, kind of dabbing in someone else's business, and is rebuked by Jesus. This is that John. This is the writer. This is the eyewitness. He is the one that's seen the Christ. When you're an eyewitness of something, hey, you see some event that happens out here uh, in, um, uh, in public and, and uh, you are uh, out in public and maybe the, the news media is called. Maybe it's an accident or maybe it's something that happened. Maybe if it's even a ball game. And uh, the eyewitness is, uh, the journalist will find that eyewitness and will take a microphone or, or some type of recorder and stick it in your face and say, tell us about what you seen. Tell us about what you saw. Tell us the, the happenings. Tell us the occurrences. Tell us what you saw. And John is telling us and he's stating the authenticity of uh, his uh, affirming John's gospel. And he gives us that three parts in verse number 24. He said, I am an eyewitness 
to the account of Jesus Christ. He is real. His miracles really happened. His preaching really happened. His teaching really happened. His enemies were real. His, uh, his walk and his journey was real. John witnessed it all. All 21 chapters. John was the eyewitness and every eyewitness he put uh, as far as story that the Holy Spirit chose, he put in chapter uh, or uh, tr- chapter twenty-one, but he put it in the whole book. Here's the second statement that I want to say about John's gospel: Every word contained in John's gospel in this book was written by the same eyewitness. So John not only seen what happened in the days of the Lord, and he remembered those things and took it to heart, but John also wrote, he wrote everything that, that the Holy Spirit wanted. Tradition holds that, that John wrote this book between A.D. 90 and A.D. 100 in Ephesus. So church in Ephesus, you remember the church in, in Asia Minor, Ephesus was a stronghold to doctrinal purity. J- John would have been a part of that. He would have been writing John's gospel during uh, this time of the church in Asia Minor, during Ephesus. And by the way, that speaks highly about that church. Maybe it tells us uh, how that church was so strong and why that church was so strong and doctrinally pure. is because John was a part in Ephesus. Uh, we, we know that uh, Irenaeus and Polycarp, Polycarp actually heard John and met John. He was a martyr for the gospel. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine one of our early church uh, fathers, if you will, one of the early martyrs of the faith that we have today uh, for the faith of the gospel? Can you imagine meeting John, who was a disciple, an apostle of Jesus Christ? You would know him, you would see him, you would hear his stories, and and Polycarp, who died for the faith, before he died, he told Irenaeus of these things. He said uh, th- this was John, the writer of the gospel. So they would have been in, tradition holds that they would have been in Ephesus during that time. The third statement that I want to make about verse number 24 is this. Every word contained in this book is true. Now, notice what it says in verse 24. He said, I'm the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things. So we've got those two statements down. He testified. He was a witness. He bore witness of these things. That's what testifying means. I bear witness. And then he says, I wrote these things down. And we know that his testimony is true. So not only was John an eyewitness, but he also wrote the account under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, God breathed what John was to write. It was the breath of God. That's why John is so powerful. John is powerful because this is not the words of John. This is the words of the Spirit of God. He wrote exactly what God wanted him to say. That is the word. This is not some uh, Bible or book of man. This is the book of God. What you hold in your lap or what you have in your hand. I love a copy of God's word. I love to have that literal copy. I realize that the words of Christ is what has the power. and You can have the words of Christ on a phone, a tablet. You can have them on a screen. You can have the words of Christ wherever, a billboard or on a piece of paper. But there is something about holding a Bible. 
That's why on Sunday I say grab a copy of God's Word. Now that doesn't mean that if you didn't bring a Bible this morning that you're, you're you know, shamed or anything like that. No, no, no. There's some people, listen, like when I'm traveling in an airport or when I'm on an airplane or when I'm somewhere in the lobby of a place waiting or in a tire shop or in a mechanic shop or something and, and I don't have a Bible handy with me, I'll pull out a tablet, I'll pull out an iPhone and read God's Word. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But it seems like to me when I come to church, I love to bring a copy of God's Word. And it just, the rustling of the pages, seeing it in my hand, feeling the leather there, and just, and by the way, hearing you do that, isn't that a blessing? To hear others bring their copy of God's Word. Listen, we're not holding man's words in our lap this morning. We're not quoting man's words. We're quoting the breath of God. This was an inspiration uh, through the Holy Spirit of God. That's why we call it the inspired, infallible Word of God. I believe that we have that preserved in the English language today. And we preach uh, to uh, the multitudes, not the words of man, but the words of God. And let me say this, they are true. They're true. Not everything you read today is true. Matter of fact, a lot of people make a lot of money on fake news, don't they? You can read a lot about fake. Y'all remember the tabloids in the grocery places, the tabloids where uh, they would be in the aisle and it would say this and they made a lot of money on them. Uh, People would buy this stuff. And it would say alien, half alien, half man was found in the White House, which we're starting to believe a little bit. <laughs> but they would find something, you know, this and that. I mean, they would say, we discovered this, and then we discovered this UFO had landed in Nebraska in a cornfield, and, and the farmer says he's never seen nothing like it. And, and then it would say, alien baby born to a, a human being. And I mean, you've seen those tabloids back in the day. I don't know if they sell them now, but they used to catch my attention. I'd say, man, really? Wow, that's, that's unbelievable. As a kid, I thought, man, mom, hey, <laughs> how's that happening? And mom would look at me and say, son, that's just, that's crazy. People buy that stuff. And it's crazy. And, you know, we, we don't know anymore, though. We call that crazy, and it used to just be in our face. But now you get on the Internet, and you can read anything. And guess what? A lot of times, listen, you, as long as you put it out there, people just take it as the gospel. And they slander people. They accuse people. They write stories that are not true. They just verbally say, we're lied to every day by the media. We're lied to every day by people that just put stuff out there to, to deter people and, and, and convince people and to snow people and all that. Listen to me. We need truth. And John makes a statement in verse 24. He says, everything that I saw, everything that I wrote down, you can take it to the bank. It is True. Listen, when you begin to start to doubt God's Word, oh, that is an open channel for Satan to get into your life. When he causes you to doubt, like he did Eve in the garden. Y'all remember that? He changed and twisted uh, the God's Word to Eve, and Eve was deceived. And guess what? It cost her, and it cost Adam, and it cost us because of deception. Believe truth. You know what? Truth is not always pleasant to hear, is it? Truth is not always, oh man, I really enjoyed that truth today. Now there's some people that don't enjoy it. You go to the doctor and you've got some issues. I, I, I need to go to the doctor more. I only go to the doctor when something's really bothering me. Because I don't enjoy going to the doctor. 
Now, there's some people that just run the doctor every time. They like going and they like going often. But let me tell you something. Your doctor, whoever it is, whoever your doctor is, my wife, by the way, made me an appointment next week to go to the doctor. And I really have nothing wrong. But she's, she's saying this, you need to go see a wellness doctor. I don't know what a wellness doctor is, but I hope they're all wellness doctors. I got to go see a well doc, wellness doctor. And she said this to me, you're not going to like what she tells you. She like forewarned me. And I said, why are you telling me this before I go? Because it makes me want to say, man, I got something going on. Oh, I can't cancel it. No, she's already marked that. I mean, it's on the refrigerator, circled, highlighted. You're going there, and she is going to change your life. Now, I don't know what she means by that, but it's one of these doctors that she goes in and starts asking you questions about your diet. How many sodas? Do you drink soda? And then when you say it, she kind of snarls and writes something down. And I'm wanting to see the other side of that. Like, what are you writing down? Do you, do, you, do you eat candy? Do you eat sugar? Do you eat flour? Uh, I don't eat flour, but you know what I mean, white flour, bread. Do you do, you, uh, uh, do you do this? Do you eat this or do you have it? And listen, before you know it, you can't eat nothing. You can't eat nothing. I mean, my wife went to see her uh, about a year ago or something, maybe not even a year ago, and when my wife came home, she just started throwing stuff in the trash. And I said, honey, what are you doing? I mean, Oreos in the trash. Dumping out Coca-Cola. Throwing tea away. Changed the kind of coffee we drank. Hey, listen, you're meddling then. That's, 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 I mean, that's war. I said, what are you doing? She said, we can't have this in our house. I said, why? She said, a doctor so-and-so said. I said, oh, hold on a second. Doctor so-and-so, listen. You tell Dr. So-and-so that we have enjoyed this, this happiness in this house for 20 years. And no doctor's going to come in here and change anything. But you know what? I started researching some of the things because my wife was saying, hey, research what she said. Look, And I started seeing some of that stuff was true. I had been eating things, that, although making me happy. I have dreams of little Debbie cakes. <laughs> I do. Swiss cake rolls. And by the, by the way, some of you have the same dreams, right? I mean, them fudge rounds and, hey, uh, here, just a minute, just a minute, just a few days, Christmas tree cakes will be out. Are they already out? Already out. Good grief. You know it's already out. Christmas tree cakes, listen to me. Hey, she doesn't want none of that. And listen, if you start looking at it and looking what it does, and, and I'm not trying to preach out, but you start looking at it, you understand that there is some truth to that. Listen, this is even greater than what a doctor will tell you, greater than what anyone else can tell you, a psychologist, a, a journalist, a media. Hey, it doesn't, listen, John is saying what I have seen and what I have heard is true. And by the way, we ought to look for truth because truth will set you free. Truth will make you free. Now look with me in verse 25. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which I, if they should be written every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. John's main goal was not to write an exhaustive account or an exhausting account of the life of Jesus. John says that if I tried, it would be impossible. Here's the reason that John wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote the Gospel of John to make a case for 
believe. He said, I wrote this so others would believe. Look with me in John chapter 20. Just one page over. John chapter 20 and look in verse number 30. John chapter 20 and verse number 30. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Hey, the reason that John wrote this book was not just to record every act of Jesus, not to record every deed of Jesus, not record the message that Jesus preached. It wasn't to record that he had enemies or he didn't record uh, all those things for Jesus. Listen, the reason that John wrote the gospel of John is that you and I would believe in the name of Jesus Christ. That's salvation. That you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said that because if you go one chapter past that in John chapter 19 John the writer of this gospel says in verse 35 and he that saw it bear record and his record is true and he knoweth that he saith is true that ye might believe the reason that John says I wrote this record I bear record I testify that this record is true that that the reason that I wrote it is that ye might believe. Listen, if you're in here today and you're doubting Christ, if you're in here today and you're just skeptical of this man named Jesus, listen, read the Gospel of John. Read it. If you're here for the first time, go back and start with John 1.1 and read from the birth of Christ all the way to the end of the gospel. And then if you still say, I don't believe it, that is on you. But can I tell you something? Listen, to us that have heard the messages and read the gospel, it's there so that we might believe. That we might believe in that name. Uh, There was a third century great Italian explorer who explored the Far East and Central Asia and uh, China. He was there for 17 years. His name is Marco Polo. Marco Polo was a great uh, Italian explorer. He explored for nearly 20 years in the Central Asia and China regions and some of the Far Eastern countries. He came back to Italy. When he came back to Italy, he began to write uh, about what he saw and what he heard and all the things. And he he began to tell people and people began to scoff and they began to call him a liar. They began to say, Marco, there is no way that 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 happened. There's no way that you've seen that happen. There's no way that that looks that way. See, this was a long time ago and people didn't have the internet. They didn't have things to look up. They they were just going by what a man said and they did not believe. Even the priest and and the ones before he died, they were getting him to confess that he had lied about uh, his sight and about what he saw. And on his deathbed, Marco Polo looked up at those priests and the people that was around and he said, I have not yet begun to tell what I saw. And he died. John, in the sense, is saying to us, I can't even describe to you what I saw my Savior do. I can't even describe to you what Jesus did. I can't even describe to you all the miracles that Jesus began to write and all the things that he began to do. I believe John just wrote the highlights of Jesus, just the very highlights that would cause us to believe the gospel. 
when we miss a ball game, when we maybe at work or something, a ball game came on, the team that we love, the team that we follow, and we want to catch up on the team that we follow. We, we uh, will go and watch what they call the highlights. We want to see the game, but we don't have time to watch a three-hour ball game, so we'll just turn on SportsCenter or turn on some uh, news app or we'll turn on something on social media and we'll watch the recap or the highlights of the game. We want to see that good catch. We want to see that good hit. We want to see that great throw. We want to see those touchdowns. We want to see those things. Listen, John wrote the highlights to the life of Jesus, the very things. I, I was watching... Me and my son were watching the game last night. I, I want to say something, and before I say it, I want you to forgive me. Here it is. I hate Ohio State University. <laughs> Can I get an amen? amen? Boy, that blessed some of you. I'm glad I could get that off my chest today. I said that this morning in the earlier service. Listen, we were depressed my team, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, I know, listen to me, I know that you say, Pastor, it's a Catholic university. It is God's football team. <laughs> Mary said so, St. Peter said so, they got touchdown Jesus there and everything. Don't you criticize. We had the game, and me and my son are high-fiving, we had them. And then we started making mistakes with just, I mean, just a few seconds left, and we were destroyed, devastated. I about didn't make it through the first sermon this morning. Devastated. And I just had to say, I abhor Ohio State. I hate Ohio State. And we had Ohio State fans in the audience. And we kicked them out of the church. <laughs> kicked them out. I said, stand up if you're a... And buddy, we had some. Listen, get them out of here. Lead them out. Excommunicate. We believe in that. <laughs> they do, anyhow. Hey, listen. I didn't even want to watch the highlights of that. We saw the game, but think about this. How important are those? John, listen, John wrote the highlights to the life of Jesus Christ. And then he says, listen, those highlights are true. The stories are true. The miracles are true. All of it's true. And you can take it to the bank. It is, it is true in their life. Now you say, Pastor, these two verses, the last sermon in this whole book of John, how do we apply these two verses to our lives. How do we do that? John's gospel, in a sense, is, is unfinished, the way I read it. I mean, we know it's finished, canonized scripture, but it's unfinished in a way. John ends it with, wonder what Jesus, wonder what all the acts Jesus did. It's just kind of in my life, I'm thinking, man, what did Jesus how did Jesus do this? If he healed one, if he raised this person from the dead, I wonder how many people Jesus raised from the dead. I wonder how many people that he touched. I wonder how many people was waiting by him like that woman at the well in John 4. I wonder how many people were at a marriage somewhere in like Cana and needed a miracle and Jesus came through. I just wonder how many stories and miracles Jesus did. I look at John as a story that you and I can write in our own life. John concludes his account of Christ's earthly ministry with a story about he and his friend Peter 
and how they were impacted by Jesus Christ. Peter would die a martyr's death. John would live so long that some wondered if he would ever die. And both had destinies to fulfill as a result of their time with Jesus. Peter would preach to the masses in Jerusalem. John would go on and read, uh, read, uh, the revel- or write the Revelation, and he would write uh, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he was uh, a greatly used of God in the New Testament to see what no man ever sought. And he, he wrote those things down. John, Jesus urged them to keep following me. And so it is with us. Jesus still echoes that. Follow me, follow me, follow me. That is the theme of John. Follow me. I have questions for you this morning in our application. Just three questions. What will you do with what you have seen on the pages of John's gospel? What will you do? Many of you have, you're familiar with John. Many of you have heard many messages from John. And there's some of you in here that have been on this journey with with me through John from the very beginning. So let me ask you this morning. What are you going to do with what you have heard in John's gospel? What are you going to do? We who live in the light have no business walking in the dark. So if the light has come on, if God has turned, the the Spirit of God has turned the switch on in your life and the light has come on, I don't like to be in the dark. If you like the dark, something's wrong. I know we're coming in October and all these scary houses and uh, they turn the lights off, people jump out. I don't do those things. I don't like the dark. Listen, the scariest thing is not some dude jumping out from underneath a, a, a coffee table or a chainsaw chasing me through a hallway or something like that. The scariest thing is... The lights are off. I'm, listen, I'm in my 40s and I sleep with a nightlight. I got a nightlight plugged in because sometimes, you know, you got to go. <laughs> I didn't know how else to say that. <laughs> got to be careful. But you do, you got to get up. Man, you stub your toe, step on a Lego. I mean, hit a door trip over a pillar. My wife puts 38 pillars on top of the bed, bed and they're surrounding the bed like we're fortified. Trying to get out of bed is like an Olympia. You know, I'm, I'm in the Olympics. I'm hurtling over stuff. I need a light. You can get very much hurt at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And we've got a sliding barn door on our, on our uh, uh, whoever thought of that, by the way. It, you know, it's a fad now, but them things are dangerous especially when you're trying to open it up at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, no light at all. And so we uh, have a nightlight. I like to see the light. I like to have a headlamp when I'm in the woods. I like to have something where I can see. Imagine trying to drive at night without any lights on, and people do sometimes. I don't like that. Listen, we have no business as children of the light walking in darkness. And what did John do? John said, turn the light on. I've illuminated the Word Turn the light on. So church, can I ask you this this morning? What is your part? What is your part in God's redemptive plan for the world? What's your part? God had plans for Peter, John, the rest of the disciples. What is your purpose? What are you doing? Christ has commissioned us to teach all nations. 
Go into the world and preach the gospel to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hey, what are we doing as a church? Are we to go out these walls and touch our community? Sure we have. But God has a purpose for each of us today. Just like he did Peter, James, and John. James to be a pastor. John to be, and of course, martyred. Peter to be martyred and preach uh, the gospel in Jerusalem and thousands saved. And then, uh, uh, of course, John's role was to write these things and be an eyewitness. Hey, what is your purpose? God has a purpose for your life. We learned in the book of John about abiding in John 15. We learned about washing feet. And John, I believe John chapter 12, we learned about resting and holiness and perseverance and dedication. We learned about death to self in John chapter 12. We learned about love even in John chapter 21 and John chapter 3. What is it in our life that's causing us to self-reflect and to say, you know what, God, what is your purpose in the redemptive plan of Christ? What is it? Here's the second question I have for you this morning. How much hardship are you willing to bear for the sake of Christ. How much hardship? Christ never promised that if we follow Him, things would be good. I know I said that last week, but that is for us to understand. In John 12, when Jesus looked at the Greeks who had questioned Him, we would see Jesus. They had, the Greeks were surrounded in a culture that was eat up with entertainment and with uh, all kinds of festivals and different things. And Jesus looked at him and said, unless a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth what? Much fruit. He said, you must die, and any man that loves his life shall lose it. Loves his mind, his will, his emotions. He loves his own dreams. But he said, listen, if you hate your life for my sake, look at what you'll gain. Not to hate yourself, but to love less than Jesus. Let me say this. What is your purpose in the redemptive plan? What, what is it that you are willing, how much hardship are you willing to bear for the sake of Christ? Let me ask you this last question. Have you counted the cost? What will you devote yourself to? What is it this morning, church, that in these last two verses as we conclude John's gospel, that I believe John's bringing it back home for us today? This book was not about John. This book was about Jesus. John never even referred to himself by his name. He never said, I, John. He said, that disciple in whom Jesus loved. That other disciple. He never even, it wasn't about John. The gospel of John was about Jesus. Church, does your life reflect the Lord Jesus Christ? Does it? This book should cause us as we, now this will be the last time we open to John for a long time as far as as a church family to preach through. I hope you read it and love it and read John often. But should we say, you know what, Lord, you did a work in my heart through this book. I know what he did for me. And I, I honestly shed tears this morning in the first service thinking this is the last time that I'll say open your book to John. Because it, it is, it, when you marry a, a book of the Bible as a preacher and you say I'm going to preach through this verse by verse, 
It does something to you. I have studied it. I have digested it. I have, I have consumed it. I have just thought about it and meditated on it for months and months and months. And here we say goodbye a little bit to it that we're going to start something else. But I'm thinking to myself, Lord, what will you do in me because the lights have come on? Will I be a better Christian because I heard the story of Jesus? Will I be a better dad? Will I be a better wife? Will I be a better teenager? Will I be a better student, a better citizen? Will I be a man of truth? John always says, I bear record and it is true. We need to be people of the truth. What is it today that God has spoken to you about?